Good morning and God bless. I'm Dominique DePrima. You're tuned into a show called First Things First, my first thing today and every day, giving thanks, giving praises, and asking for blessings from God, asking for the blessing of the ancestors and the elders, and getting it going. Um, yeah, happy Thursday. So this is the way we do this show. The first hour, we typically look to the left coast, what's going on around here, around these parts, uh, you know, the Pacific Ocean side of town. Hour two, we go national, international, and beyond, uh, global to the local. Hour three, we do a deep dive with a person or persons of interest. I've said repeatedly the things are a bit topsy-turvy because it's election season. But not today. Today we are mostly sticking to the script. Uh, we'll be having our regular contributor, Sherry Bell, joining me hour two. She is a labor organizer, and that should be quite uh, quite a great conversation. And we'll look at, you know, all the things going on on the national landscape. And hour three, I'm so excited. Um, she's a singer, songwriter, guitar player, um, and believe it or not, a researcher, Corinne Bailey Ray will be joining me in the studio. So you'll be able to tune in on the YouTubes and I'm excited cause I, she just personally an artist that I happen to find great and amazing. So I've never talked to her before. I hope uh, you'll join us for that right now. It's me, you and the telephone microphone, um, Whatever other kind of phone you got, the flip phone, you can hit me up on the DMs in KBLA 1580, or better still, my personal, which is Deprima Radio, D-I-P-R-I-M-A, and then radio, that's where you find us on YouTube at uh, KBLA 1580, where we're broadcasting every weekday morning, rain or shine, lipstick or no lipstick, and of course, like, subscribe, follow while you are there. I love chopping it up with folks on socials during the show, after the show, on the weekends. But right now, the direct line to speak your mind is 800-920-1580. I didn't mean to do that rhyme. Sorry. 800-920-1580. That's the number. That's like the old school DJs, like go way back. Everything rhymed. And they had special voices like, hey, this is Dominique on the radio. Um, but yeah, no, we're not doing that. Okay. Come on, Dominique, wake up. Well, look, uh, love to talk with you. We have a lot to cover. Luckily, tomorrow is Friedman Fridays, the package of reparations legislation that was promised by California's Black Caucus has dropped. And we got a few questions. Uh, we got a few observations Clearly, we will go deeper into this on our Freedman Friday, but you know we are not going to let the day pass without unpacking that. What I love is that there's so much movement. There's so much, um, so much conversation and local initiatives and state initiatives that are in play right now, even the ones trying to preemptively block us from reparations. It shows that this is a real strong movement and I believe that as we talk more, as we have the comprehensive reparations conversations, which we have Fridays in our second hour um, for Freedman Fridays, it's 7 a.m. Pacific, that when we do that, um, we help add on to that momentum. We make ourselves more brilliant and better informed. And that is part of how we get this done. 
in the short range, in the long term, in the mid range, locally, nationally, uh, on a state level, on a county level. To me, it's all in the equation. I understand some folks have concerns about, you know, how a local or state efforts could uh, somehow let the feds off the hook for their part in the enslavement, the Jim Crow, and the subsequent harms, which are all part of the the root of this, uh, what some folks like to call the, the original sin and the birth of this nation. Well, there's two, right? The genocide of First Nations persons and the... Um, and the enslavement and subsequent continuous harm uh, and lack of repair to black Americans, enslaved black Americans, African Americans. Uh, Yeah, we can can talk about it. I'm here for that all the time, 800-920-1580, but especially on Fridays. So we're going to take a look at this um, package of bills, the headline in the LA Times, and I saw this, really getting some national note as well, is that there is no cash payment there. Well, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, And I do, I'm not saying I agree with that. I, you know, you know, um, some folks weren't happy with me playing Rihanna B better have my money as my reparations theme song. But you know, sorry, I like it. Because I think it has to be also it must include uh, the monetary piece. That's, you know, back to what we were talking about yesterday. Yes, you do have to throw money at the problem sometimes to fix the problem. Nobody says there's a pothole on my street. I won't throw money at the problem. No, you got to fix that pothole and it's going to cost you some money. That's just the way things work. That said, I I wasn't expecting that in the first round of uh, reparations bills. I believe that the uh, Black Caucus is doing what they think they can actually win on. Now, whether or not that moves the needle significantly is another conversation, which we will have today and tomorrow. The other thing is, uh, this is, I believe, where we come in, which is making sure that they don't think this is one and done, that they can rest on their laurels and say, oh, well, we gave you a legislative package. Um, No, because there's a lot of work to be done based on the recommendations of that report. i I never, ever expected a money bill for reparations in an election year. Ain't going to happen. Well, look, impossible is nothing, says Muhammad Ali, so I'm going to take that back. But um, I think it's highly unlikely, let me put it that way, in an election year. However, you know, I'm I'm here for it whenever it happens. Um, So I want to take a look at what these folks are doing and what what they are saying that repair restitution looks like right now. And from what, um, you know, my preliminary analysis is, it seems like a lot of stuff that helps everybody. Now, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with helping everybody. I I actually don't think that's a problem. I think even the cash reparation, the cash payment that goes directly to um, those who have been harmed, those who were uh, promised reparation and never received it, nor the protections uh, that we were promised. Um, Yeah, even those direct cash payments are going to help everybody because it, 
stimulates the economy. Black people will buy things from you <laughs> and you and you and you, uh, whether you're black or otherwise, this is definitely going to help everyone. But I'm talking about, you know, uh, changing policies that impact anyone who is d- liable to be discriminated against and harmed by the system of white supremacy that we have behind many of our laws and institutions and traditions in this country, what they call uh, the badges of enslavement in in the uh, California Task Force report. Um, I'm already seeing some conversation online, people angry because because there are are not enough specifics uh, targeting black Americans or freedmen or ADOS people or FBAs or... Uh, Dobas, as uh, Molly Bell and Mr. Peoples um, would would uh, denote. But the thing is, you that's I'm looking at it as preliminary. There's at least one um, one proposal here, which does seem to be a little affirmative actiony, and I'm not quite sure it can hold up in the state. Um, but again, I'm not an attorney. And also the complaint is that that is kind of a helping everybody, but not specifically addressing the harms of black Americans. Love to hear your thoughts. 809-20-1580, 809-20-1580. I haven't moved on, by the way, from uh, the Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday. I do have a lot of thoughts about it. And I'm what I'm really trying to do is be mindful because the head of ju- the Justice Care and Opportunities Department is my friend and colleague. And so I want to be fair to the electeds and all of the department heads uh, that are participating in this conversation and who should be part of the solution. Um, and what we're talking about for those who don't uh, and I can't blame you because <laughs> they're not what I would call riveting all the time who don't follow the Board of Supervisors meetings. One of the big challenges is that um, under pressure from the public, uh, from activists and concerned citizens, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors voted to shut down the Men's Central Jail. This happened in 2021. Uh, this has been a problem, though, for a long time, well over a decade because of the conditions inside, because of the so-called mysterious deaths of uh, mostly black um, and and some Latina people inside the jails, which are almost always considered accidents, even though many times they're suspicious and appear to be at the hands of sheriff deputies, because of the the, um, existence of L.A. Sheriff's Department gangs and the inhumane conditions in which uh, many of those, most of those folks in there, inside the men's central, and to be, if we're being honest, inside a lot of California um, jails. It's not my opinion. The courts have said it. Uh, look at what's happening with the the juvenile system. It's like whack a mole. Every time they they try to they move the young people somewhere because one facility is considered inhumane, then the other one that they move them to is about to be declared uninhabitable too. So clearly we have a big problem, right? With the treatment of prisoners, California has more than just about, I believe we have more than any other state, but we might be second to Texas. Not a hundred percent sure about that, but we got a lot. We got a lot of prisons or prisons and a lot of prisoners. 
public and activists and I'm sure those folks who are incarcerated there want to shut down men's central jail. The question is how. That is what the L.A. County Board of Supervisors took up on Tuesday. And the reason I say that I, you know, am am doing, really want to be discerning and wise. I don't want to be unfair, even though I know I'm a smart ass and proud of it. Um, But when I see the way that um, that meeting went down, I have some serious problems here. I also have some important problems. information to remind us to track. And I got questions um, for uh, the Board of Supervisors, certain supervisors more than others. And I got questions for the people who are showing up every week advocating for the closure of that jail. And I got questions for you and me, right? How? What role do we play? Um, So, you know, to be clear, my friend uh, and colleague, who is a former prosecutor. I think she's my only former prosecutor friend. Uh, But she's also um, a a product of the foster care system. She is also uh, a dedicated, um, you know, activist in, in terms of restorative justice and a retired superior court judge who um, is now heading up this department and has had has been tasked for the past a little over a year with figuring out how to close this jail. So this is something we need to talk about. And um, I said yesterday many times when uh, we have a problem that's considered intractable or problematic, what do we do? Get a black woman. Uh, and, and of course, many times black women like uh, the impressive five women on our L.A. County Board of Supervisors will get a job done against all odds with little resources and very little appreciation. For me, the problem is when you decide to make that uh, person a scapegoat for the inaction of a giant body, uh, which is the electorate, which is the um, government and bureaucracy, administrative um, giant behemoth that is L.A. County. That's where the problem comes in, when it becomes about grandstanding and pointing fingers rather than sincerely looking at what it's really actually in this world, not in Easter Bunny world, going to take to safely shut that prison down without just pushing people to an equally problematic or similarly problematic facility and with a, in, a, in a way that addresses the, prob- the problems and challenges of caring for folks who may have all kinds of needs. 809-201580. If you're interested in any of these things or some other things, I'd love to talk with you. I'm Dominique DePrima for KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right, right now. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we're going to keep talking about this. Uh, the and, and we have to because otherwise it won't get done. And I do clearly understand the position. We were talking about it yesterday. For those who um, weren't not tapped in, 
the um the plan was to close men's central jail and not build another jail because voters um progressives and others do not want to build another carceral facility in Los Angeles and people have been hesitant about different ideas such as building some kind of hospital or whatever because it seems like it would just be a jail by another name. I, I believe that's um, that's where we are. But if you look at what's, you know, the, the, the moves that L.A. County has been making to reduce the jail population, including including the new bail schedule, which means that a lot of folks with nonviolent misdemeanors uh, get out pending trial, then, you know, you know that, the presentation was um, was on point in terms of the fact that yes, the jail population is smaller. Um, what the data that was presented um, seems to show is that those folks that are left, um, the ones that are waiting for trial, a lot of them have more ser- have serious uh, offenses. So what do you do? And then there's a lot of folks in there that. according to this data that have, that are receiving some kind of mental health treatment. Um, So how do you do it? You know, let's say we blow the whole thing up. Do we have humane, um, properly equipped facilities, beds is what they call them for these folks? And the answer appears to be no. Um, We'd have to add, uh, according to these numbers that, you know, based on um, extensive analysis of the data, we'd have to add 1,200 new beds every year. And beds doesn't just mean, you know, a cot. It means a bed with the attached services, uh, with the attached, um, you know, um, experts to be able to manage that person. And it has to be something that uh, the court's, would be fine releasing a person too. That so that means the security of, of those beds is also an issue. Um, and so if you start putting on your thinking cap, you realize that you're talking about okay decisions that are made by the court. They're also talking about accelerating, trying to accelerate the way that folks move through the system. Well, uh, that's you know, that's one of the things that uh, Supervisor Mitchell was saying. Yeah, that sounds good, but how do you do it? You know, and how do you? Well, I'm paraphrasing. Um, is that even going to be effective in in you know moving enough people? But these are all things that would have to be done at the same time. Getting uh, the the courts to release to feel comfortable releasing another 7,000 people. So that plan that was presented by Judge Armstead is a a five, six-year plan, which would require every single piece of our county government to do their part. Um, It would require judges to sign off on those releases. It would require mental health to have the beds and staffing in place, which we keep reading is a struggle right, that they're having a hard time um, attracting and retaining uh, folks. Uh, we, would, we would have to have the um, 
uh, care, the health care available to, you know, deal with some of these folks who are severely ill. We would have to have um, the sheriff's department in motion, right, to um, to reduce the jail population. Um, it's it's um, it's not just it's going to be a countywide effort. And uh, I, I would love to see that happen. Um, the, else, the other thing, which I don't, you know, seems tough, but back to Muhammad Ali, impossible is nothing. Got to drop recidivism rates. I mean, you know, that revolving door of people going in, out, in, out. Now, how do you do that? I mean, obviously, hopefully restorative justice. The other thing that, you know, is a bit of a wake-up call for all of us, I think, is the fact that you have to, those 1,200 beds, they have to keep being emptied out, meaning the person goes there to that rehabilitative care, and by the end of the year, they're ready to move into uh, uh, less secure or move out into the world and, you know, and, and be independent because otherwise those beds don't free up for the next wave of folks coming in. So... Um, uh, I think, you know, it's an important conversation to have and I'm going to keep talking about it because I don't think putting, saying, okay, we've had this problem for 10 plus years now, um, we're frustrated because we all want it closed. Let's uh, put it all on one person or one department and um, not have every aspect, every department um play their part in making this happen, including those folks who consider ourselves activists. 800-920-1580. It's news, traffic, and sports, and more on KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. Yes, I'm glad you are here. And I'm excited today because I get to talk with uh, Corinne Bailey-Ray in the final hour of the show. And you all the time, 800-920-1580. So, okay, it's Thursday. And tomorrow we have our Freedman Fridays. But let's talk about this right now. Um, 14 bills that have been put forth by the... um, by California's Legislative Black Caucus. Um, and none of them, as I, as I mentioned, none of them calling for cash. I'm going to say yet because this is their first round of bills. And I, I believe that we, the people, um, will make sure that it's not the last. Um, they, you know, they work on various things. One of those things is an apology. I'm curious how important you all think an apology is. Um, it's, it's wild to me that we need legislation to get an apology for California's role. But, I mean, I guess it's good. Um, and I say that, you know, looking forward to, uh, by the way, for those wondering, um, Cam Howard will be our Friedman Friday guest tomorrow. Some, some of you guys have been asking uh, for him to be present. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that I, I don't, you know, I'm assuming that apology, a formal apology from the state would help down the line, maybe. 
um, with the legal soundness or resilience of our reparations programs in the state. Um, I was happy to see the the governor said he he finally got through all 1,200 pages of that report um, and that he, you know, is working, that his office is working on an analysis, their own analysis of those recommendations and also so that we can see what's already been done and what is still to do. Um, he claims that he didn't include any of that in his budget because he wanted to see what the legislative black caucus was going to come up with. Um, and of course, as the LA times rightly points out, it is an election year. So what, of course I've been pointing that out for, um, well over a year that we were going to be dealing with this during a time when folks are running, not only this being 2024, but the fact that our governor, and I'm going to say several other lawmakers have ambitious plans for their futures and they don't want to be, uh, saddled with something, i.e. giving us what we're owed that could, um, decrease their popularity with certain voting blocks. And that's where all of these polls come in. Even though I, I tweeted and I still believe this reparation is not a popularity contest. It is a debt that's owed to black people. So it should be paid whether it's popular or not, but that's not really how, um, that's not really how politics works in this country. That's one of the reasons why I feel like we've got to, uh, we have to keep talking about this. We have to build momentum. Um, they are members of the legislative uh, black caucus are saying this is a, not a one and done that this is going to take years. Um, and it's going to take, they're even saying educating their fellow lawmakers and the public to help build support. Um, so, ACA 7 is amend the California Constitution to permit the state to fund programs for specific groups of people that help increase life expectancy, improve educational outcomes, and lift them out of poverty. This is the one that um, people, lots of analysts are saying, will be in violation of uh, the state's ban on affirmative action. I suppose that's why they're trying to go to the Constitution with it. But the other thing about this, and I understand the... Um, I understand the criticism here, which is the way that is written, um, specific groups of people. It's already going right to one, one of the things we have to deal with, is, which is this idea, well, everybody has had harm. Everybody deserves reparation. You get a reparation and you get a reparation and you get a reparation. I, you know, I am not uh, here for the divide and conquer or the anti-immigrant rhetoric, but I do think that if you look at the example of affirmative action, um, where everyone, you know, specific groups is, could be any protected group, what ends up happening is, as with many other things, black people end up at the back of the line. So uh, some, some activists are saying this is a way of making n reparations less specific and um, more like affirmative action, which means number one, it may or may not hold up past muster in the state. And number two, we have to look at whether it really meets uh, the 
the definition, our, our definition, the people's definition of reparations. Um, amending the Constitution to prohibit involuntary servitude for incarcerated people. We tried that. I think it was 2022 we tried to pass that. Didn't pass. Definitely that needs to be included, uh, even though that, you know, black people aren't the only um, folks that are working for slave wages or no wages inside the penal system. But um, it is definitely a, a vestige of the enslavement era. And I was, I was just stunned that it wasn't able to pass before. So I, I, th- I feel like that, that ACH should pass. I do think um, it's kind of embarrassing for California that Louisiana passed it. Yeah, Southern racist Louisiana passed this prohibition on enslavement of prisoners before California. So we definitely, I definitely think that's important and hopefully this time around viable. Uh, Although, you know, again, these were economic arguments that were used to say, well, it's too expensive. If you're saying that you can't run your business without paying people less than the minimum wage, then your business model is illegal and problematic. And you need to either shut down that business or tweak your model so that you can pay fair uh, wages in order to uh, move forward. Um, AB 1815 prohibits discrimination based on natural and protective hairstyles in all competitive sports within California. So this is Holly Mitchell's, uh, obviously she's an LA County supervisor at this time. She's, she's not in the Senate anymore, but this is basically the crown act for sports. Okay. I'm here for it, but is it a pillar of reparations? I don't know. Um, Offer competitive grants to increase enrollment of African-American descendants in STEM-related career technical education. Yawn. Um, You know, I I shouldn't say that, but I I feel like we're on this STEM obsession, um, which, okay, you know, it's good. We're, um, the United States is behind everybody in STEM, but black people in, uh, in education (laughs) need, need a level playing field in every field, not just the one that's super trendy right now, which is STEM. But I mean, I'd support it. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how that, I'm hoping that, uh, that, um, assembly, you know, um, the assembly members that are on this bill. And, and I'm, I'm assuming since this is, Got Bradford and Smallwood Cuevas coming uh, from the Senate side and Joan Sawyer, McCarty, McKinner, Weber, Wilson, um, Brian, and Gibson <clears throat> on the uh, on the assembly side that they that they um, know how to get this around. Um, actually, I, that might not be right as far as the, the assembly members, that's what I think. But, uh, you know, how you get that around an affirmative action ban? Is it the competitive grants? I don't, I guess the grants are going to the institutions rather than the individuals. Okay. It's not terrible. But like I said, this is just the beginning. Um, Medically supportive food and nutritional interventions as permanent Medi-Cal benefits in California. 
Um, that actually sounds, that one has Bradford and Cuevas. And uh, the list that I just uh, mentioned to you, um, that sounds like it's promising. You know, when we get to existing programs and you find now find ways to make them more robust in a sense that you can um, help the people that are obviously most impacted because they are, um, you're talking about medically needy Medi-Cal, which means they are low-income folks. Um, I think that's a smart way to go. Yeah, it helps everyone. So what? Let's help low-income folks. In, um, so th- it says it would make medically supported food and nutrition interventions um, a covered benefit under the Medi-Cal program through both fee-for-service and managed care delivery systems. I, I, I got it. This is one of those ones where you really need the details, and I'm looking forward to, to talking with these folks. Um, I'm sure once <laughs> it's going to be tough at, during election season, but I'm sure um, as election season winds down, we will have a better uh, opportunity to talk to folks about this, and hopefully some of these com- campaign conversations that we're having right now will... Um, will uh, venture over into this area as well. Okay, I'm wrong. The <clears throat> bill I was talking about for STEM comes from Assemblymember McKinner. So, okay. I mean, it's one of those things that is, is popular, right? We're in a frenzy about STEM right now, um, which as a <laughs> mother of a recent high school graduate, I can tell you has a, a plus and a minus side to it. Um and this, you know, coming from Assemblymember Brian um, and the California Prison System's practice of banning books without oversight and review. Honestly, they shouldn't be banning books at all. Um, and these, this is just the beginning. I, I think, you know, yes, AB 1986, again, that's something that helps everyone in prison. You get to read. Um, seems like a no-brainer, but it's really not, especially in today's environment of banning our history specifically, um, our empowerment our critical thinking specifically, um, I think that's something that, you know, is good to get done. And they've said this is just the beginning. So we, we got to track, we got to track this stuff and hopefully, um, hopefully encourage that momentum and conversation that allows us to continue uh, to build on this. And the other thing that I want to say, which is really important, is that it's it represents motion. We are in motion. They said they were going to deliver something in January. They did. It is, um, you know, it's a start. And it is uh, putting the rest of the country on notice that reparations is in motion. And, uh, you know, we are going to have to address this uh, on a federal, state, local, city, on every level, corporate, institutional, on every level. Here we come. Reparations is in motion. I'm Dominique DePrima for KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you had it up to here with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. Yeah, we're going to keep talking about all of these things. And there's and there's more. I mean, I think there's some really great, great stuff um, in this reparations 
package in motion. As I said, there's more specifics to come. I love, you know, Bradford added again, restoring property taken under race-based eminent domain or offer other remedies to the original owner. That's like um, Bruce's Beach uh, on steroids. I love that for us, California. I think that's really um, getting to the heart of when we talk about repair, what was taken, what was stolen, uh, what, what, what impacts to generational wealth can be reversed. I love that. Um, and I guess, you know, a formal apology for slavery and the other crimes against humanity that come forth from our enslavement as, as um, black people in this country it's it's important. I think it is important. I just, you know, I always say, okay, uh, an apology and an apology and a reparations check will buy you a plot of land. Um, I also love the this. Well, let me let me put it this way: restrict solitary confinement in correctional detention facilities. We talked about this uh, with Assembly Member Holden when he was here. Um, I would like to see it eliminated altogether. But what they're talking about is this in this bill is restricting it to the point where it, we at least meet the humanitarian standards of the world. That That's always good. Um, and letting communities know before you shut down grocery stores and food deserts. Um, I, yeah, I, it, it points to an important issue. Um, I, I don't know, you know, how it, I guess what it will do is allow communities to, um, try to reverse that decision or try to find investors to take that over or, um, at least force some accountability in the way that it's done. Um, and I know that lawmakers have to work within or try to work within what they think is plausible that meets the recommendations in this report. Eliminate barriers to occupational licenses for people with criminal records. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. I mean, there's so many things in the state that you can't do uh, after you have served time, which in some cases, those folks were doing inside the correctional facility um, for slave wages. And then when they get out, they can't do it because they can't receive a license, um, from the state if they have a felony, but yet apparently you can be president of the United States. Um, and at least until we change, change that. But as of right now, you can't be a cosmetologist in California with the felony, but you can go on and be the so-called leader of the free world. Um, and again, you know, I don't have all the details here, so I, I could be wrong about some stuff, and um, <laughs> I'm going to leave that right there. Uh, <laughs> offer state-funded grants for African-American communities to decrease violence. Again, not sure how this gets around uh, affirmative action. Some... Um, person living in a community with no violence is going to sue saying it's discrimination. And here we go again. But I guess there's nothing wrong with trying it or perhaps smarter people than me are figuring out how to make that legally happen. Um, 
you know, when you look at, I guess that's why when you go to, okay, eliminate barriers for people with criminal records, that doesn't say eliminate barriers to getting a license for black people. Um, we're just hoping that since we tend to be over-prosecuted, over-arrested, over-convicted, and when I say over, that's just not based on my emotional feeling. It's based on the percentage of us that are actually doing the crime. Like, okay, more white people actually have contraband in their cars. By percentage, not by volume, um, in L.A., for example. But we are pulled over at a much greater level, searched more. And of the people who are arrested um, in any given category, the black ones are more likely to be prosecuted, to have the book thrown at them, to be convicted. So we can logically say, okay, hopefully this will impact black Californians in a significant way. Um, and I think, you know, this is, this is a great start. It's, there's some stuff that I'm not, you know, jumping up and down about, and I'm always going to offer a critique. I do think that's part of the process, but I, I commend our black legislative leaders for doing something, for um, responding in a robust way to um, the task force in taking this first step. Um, well, we can all argue about what comes first, the chicken or the egg, or whether this is a first step or not. But it's certainly an important step, right? So that when a report lands 1,200 pages thick in a 70-page, about 70-page summary that you can get at uh, the uh, Office of the Attorney General's website online, that it doesn't just sit there and say, oh, that was, that was nice. This movement for justice ends with a study. Uh, and I think that um, that happens a lot of times. You go to a town hall meeting, you, there's another panel, there's another investigation, another hearing, and then what comes out of it? You know, where... where do we put this protest and these policy proposals into action? Um, and uh, recognizing that California is in the middle of a budget contraction. Of course, if we wait for the right moment, the perfect moment to fund reparations, it'll never happen because there'll always be something that's a greater priority. But this particular year being a, budget shortfall and an election, it seems like a strategic way to fire those shots across the bow in a legislative form for actual implementation of change. Oh, my friend Sherry Bell, labor organizer, is up after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580.